Hello everybody and welcome to episode 2 of the Sound of Vision podcast. Today on this episode, Jay is trying to make us all laugh. But it's not going to work because we're a professional film podcast here. We're professional podcasters, we're well experienced now, well versed in the art of podcasting. So we don't mess around anymore. Anyway, today we will be talking about Hayao Miyazaki's 2001 film, Spirited Away. So, I've already seen one person's letterboxd review, and let's just say I'm not too happy about it. Um, Because personally, this film is my number one favourite film of all time. Um, But I haven't heard anybody else's opinion yet. So... Guys, what did you think of it? Boring. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, what's the point? And then I realised there's not much point because it's I haven't watched it in a while, but I just remember sitting there thinking, what's going on? Why why am I watching this? And then I realised what was the point? I never really found out. So Kitty, do you have because there must be an inner meaning to the film if it's your favourite. So can you tell me why why you like this film so much? Do you, want, do you want like a personal meaning or kind of like what I think it meant? Try and convince me that there's anything about this film which is good. Well, I just, okay, well, I think it's beautiful. I think everything about it is beautiful. The animation is, I think, like the most beautiful animated film I've ever seen especially like other Studio Ghibli films as well that that just that style um that Miyazaki draws is just so original and so beautiful the soundtrack as well Joe Hisashi Mayers um oh my goodness I how can you not just be completely immersed in the film but through the soundtrack alone um and for me personally I watched it it's like I think it's one of the first films I've I ever watched, and so it's kind of it feels quite personal to me because it's a story about it's like a coming of age story really you know it's a story about growing up and gaining independence and um, I watched it all throughout my childhood so a lot of the film is kind of it's got a lot of nostalgic value and um, so that's why I kind of continue to love it through my teenhood early adulthood I guess you could say. Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it also. Um, I think part of it was because I watched a few other Miyazaki films recently. So I'm, I think I was dumb. I started with the crappy Ghibli films. I think I mentioned this. I watched Ocean Waves first, which why I don't know. But I watched most of Kiki's Delivery Service recently, which is really good. I watched uh, Castle of Cagliosa. And I think that really helped me get Miyazaki because like, you know, you were just saying, like, his films are beautiful, which I think is totally true. And I think it's not just what he shows, but it's just the whole aura around the film. Because uh, he just, he just, like, creates such plots. If you explain them, they sound much more intense, and yet he somehow makes them peaceful. You know what I mean? Like, I watch one film, and there's just a scene where these characters are just, he did, and these characters are just sitting on a car they're trying to fix, and there's just a beautiful shot of the grass, and then just as they see that, they see a bride and a car driver by, drive away while being chased by like 50 guys. 
and then they get the tie back on like okay let's go and see what this is about and like somehow that matches it well you still feel relaxed while watching all of that and i feel that in spirited away in the sense that like there's all these crazy energy but it still feels like it creates this sort of there's this bombastic energy but there's also this sense that we know where this is going and it's fine like this might be a weird analogy but you know when like you're a kid and you're coming up with a story and you're like and then this hat or you're playing and then you're like and then he comes and he's attacking me and you're helping me and you're defending like it, his films sort of feel like that in the best way possible um you, you know what I mean like yeah no I do in a sense and I definitely that, get what you mean yeah I, I get what you mean as well about those kind of uh mixed moments where you get the action and the intensity of the film combined with those really still kind of moments of contemplation and especially with studio Ghibli films as well because a lot of well literally nearly all of them revolve around kind of themes of appreciation of life appreciation of nature um I think it just really ties in with that Spirited Away is not as much those themes but no, definitely appreciation of life but um you know just that, like you said though it, it still manages to be kind of a family film whilst also being very much a work of cinematic art as well hello yeah, kitty like grana <clears throat> hello i'm scared um this film bored me stiff oh no yeah. <laughs> i already know this by the way listeners because jay has a letterbox where he um, basically slashed the film I had to read that this morning so Anyway, yeah, um, I've been thinking about this film all day, and I, what I said in that letterbox review um, was basically complaining about how I didn't like it, which is, of course, that sort of review. And basically, what I'm trying to say is, I think it was just personal taste. It just, it was uh, not a film for me. That is fair I, enough. Do you want to elaborate on the elements that you? Found boring. I, I'm actually quite interested in that yeah. because, believe it or not, actually I kind of expected Solomon to not enjoy it because no offense, Solomon, but when's the last time you enjoyed a film on the podcast? I, I didn't. I didn't mind it. It wasn't. My girlfriend likes it, so oh, I have okay. to sort of enjoy it. But I thought, I thought House Moving Castle was better. Mm, they're close contenders for me. But anyway, Jay, before reading your review, I genuinely never met somebody who disliked this film. Um, so I'm actually really interested to kind of hear it, hear you elaborate on the the elements you found boring. I hadn't met anyone who didn't like it either, um, and I got so I people unfollowed me on Letterboxd because of that review. Really? Um, yeah, God. yeah. <laughs> Guys, yeah. you need to chill. It's not that. So it's um, not. Really, come on. That's happened a few times uh, with films that people love, and it's always the ones that I think you go into them expecting a lot because everyone loves them and it i just felt let down i think mainly because it's it felt like such a mess it felt like there were so many elements just being chucked into it that i did not see necessary there was so much happening at once that just it made it feel like a soup with way too many ingredients and there was no focus and there was yeah, there, there was too much going on for me. Um, I I also, about the animation style, and I think 
anime in general and i'm not going to say i hated how it looks because i agree with you that it looked great i i'm not a fan of how characters and especially emotions are and were portrayed i could not sit through these i don't want to call them performances um but the way that these characters were animated because i i could not attach any emotions to them and they went from their standard face to crying to smiling and it, it, it didn't work. It didn't work for me. That's... And Jay? Um, I don't you know me yeah. this as an insult because I experienced this too and I think I kind of get where you're coming from. Do you think some of it might be sort of a cultural disconnect? Oh, um, 100%. Yeah. Because I tell you, because so many of this stuff I've seen this and I'm like, what is this? Like, you know, there's so many creatures and stuff. But I feel like if there was a Western equivalent of this, um, and I'm not, you know. There shouldn't be. Obviously, yeah, yeah. I just mean if there's, if you saw a piece of meat that had a scene like this, then there was all this kind of creatures and like, um, but they were more Western or European inspired, I think it would be more um, palatable. And I'm not saying that as a criticism because, you know, culture is going to play effect in how we see films. But, um, and I partly got that. Um, and I think that's definitely, um, and I, you know, I'm not even saying, you're, I, I get the opposite of saying this is just how you feel, but like, I think it's interesting because like, I'm trying to think how to word it. Um, you know, I experienced that because the two, the two Miyazaki films I like the most, Kiki and Cagliosa, like those are the most Western slash European inspired films. And I feel those make it more palatable. And I think it's interesting because I also get what you're saying about kind of the animation. Maybe it feels a bit too over the top and a bit too forced. Like some of the dialogue and expressions in a way that doesn't feel real, but like, I'm trying to think how to word this without going on. I think it's interesting because I feel like a lot of the stuff you're saying, like, oh, this seems a bit pointless, or like, oh, I can connect because of this style of animation or performance even. I think it's really interesting because, you know, um, it's not really the film's fault in a way, is it, though? To be fair, though, because I guess you could say those are just, a lot of what it's doing is more common techniques in sort of the industry it's made in. Yeah, um, it was a film made in a time and a place in a certain culture. Yeah. That's foreign to us. And if over in Japan, they were watching a film from 2001 there, where that was from America or Britain, I think there would be a lot of culture disconnect. If you, the first one that came to mind when you were saying that is where the wild things are. And if, I think if, audience over there i don't know how it did over there but i'm sure there were people over there who really couldn't understand it get behind it because of that depiction of social life in america and i think we're quite fairly similar to america culturally but in asia i know things work very differently yeah i i wasn't saying as a criticism i wasn't trying to cancel you or anything i just thought oh, no, it's interesting to see where where we or how we take it in because of that cultural difference and i think it's important to mention because i know you know i'm not saying you're this kind of personal because i know you're very like you te- you can accept a film if it's not you seem like someone who like if a film's not for you you're like yeah it's not for me but i think it's important to mention that sometimes when we talk about films you can sort of implicitly imply there's a way to make films if you know what i mean if you like complain that thing and i think you know, a lot of people don't want to acknowledge this, but, you know, there is really no such thing as a universal story or theme. And, like, 
I think it's interesting that if we maybe only critique this film from a certain way, it could be a bit um, elitist and sort of um, culturally questionable. I don't know. Maybe I'm overreading it. I just think it's interesting and maybe important to mention. Could you say that about any film, though? Like, oh, yeah. Criticism on a film which isn't yours. I don't know. Could... I mean, I'm specifically talking about, I think, the way you know, our, cult, our cultural experiences might affect how we view this film. And so oh, yeah. we should consider that in a sense because I think we could maybe worry and be like, why did they do that or why did they do that? And not necessarily knowing Japanese cinema, like that could be something that's common in Japanese cinema. And it would be the same as like critiquing an American film for being like, why is there so much voiceover? Yeah, I feel like I understand your point. I think you're, you're, you can critique film on sort of anything as long as you're not, critiquing it on uh, things that, like if you're not being racist or stuff like that and I feel like this film uh, the critiques we have on it isn't really about the Japanese sort of things it's more about the the animation and the style which I guess is sort of exclusive to the to, to Japan but yeah again you could criticise a lot of the films that like Jade likes like a razor head because it's just really weird like some of the I'm, I'm not saying it's bad I'm saying it's weird in a, in a good way I'm saying it's bad okay well who cares but I feel like yeah Me? the criticism okay okay guys calm down the criticism we have on the film isn't because like the, the Japanese style in a way it's more about the uh, just it doesn't doesn't really sit right. I, there's something about it which just is kind of weird and makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. But that also might just be the like figures floating around and the really weird looking like that really large woman who just that really creepy and the one with the mask, which I can't remember the name of. But I don't know. I just found them scary. I I quite liked the film, but sorry, there is a but. Um, I kind of agree with Jay in that there's just so many bits to it that it doesn't. I don't fully understand why all the bits are there. Like you've got so many different kind of mini like subplots that are happening. So you've got like the woman who's massive, which was just weird. And then the weird faceless thing. Where does that? I I didn't really understand that. Like I didn't I didn't really understand that. Plus, also the weird, the weird relationship that formed with the main character and the dragon dude. It was awful. I hated it. I forgot to mention that earlier. That felt a little bit. It. That felt a little bit predatory. It felt like thing it is, it's like not a romantic relationship. It's a story of friendship. But then he, he's referred to as her boyfriend sometimes, <laughs> and there's talk of love and true love and that kind of stuff. It just she it's felt like you. It couldn't decide what it was. Love be. before you what, no, you know what love is. Is it no? But true, it's exactly that. It's it's like it's a childhood love, which is never. It's a, it's a it's just, it's they're they're friends. <laughs> they're not romantic it's partners. They don't end up together. That's like what a lot of Ghibli films do. They explore romance in a more interesting way, where like, like it's La La not La like Land. your one true love. It's like uh, 
you know, I don't know. I guess that's you know, I don't know. They're all the same age. How can it be predatory if they're well, the same? I mean, it's not, really, it's not really explained that they're the same age. You kind of just assume how old both of them are. You assume that the female main character is whose name I'm not going to try and pronounce for fear of pronouncing get completely wrong. Um, We're all getting cancelled kind of on this episode, it seems. It's kind of assumed that she is a lot younger, that she is quite young, because she's, she's like first was a crybaby and a child, and she's clinging on to her parents and all this kind of stuff. I think, I think the idea is, though, that they're both the same age from the fact that he's so kind of welcoming to her in the beginning, and he, he I mean... Size-wise, I've always assumed just from height difference between him, her, and the others that they were the same age. Um, but as well, kind of the reason that she's called like a crybaby and you know stuff like that, she's insulted is because she's a human rather than the fact that she's a lot younger than all of them. Yeah, I feel That's like good. I would cry. Sorry, but I'll, I'll say I feel like I would cry if I was surrounded by a bunch of whatever that was in the film regardless of my age if i saw talking it now I would... yeah exactly if i saw a talking frog i'll probably break down and cry and wonder what drugs i'm on or something because it... i don't think the biggest talking point of the film is how her relationship was because i don't think it matters how old she... i think if it was a live action film it'd be different her age would be lot different and the relationships with but I feel like these films aren't sort of talking about what their ages are it sort of doesn't care as much which could sound a bit weird but I, I sort of think it's not the main talking point of the film I don't know I don't know what other people think to me it was one of those ingredients that didn't need to be there it was one of those things that just added mm-hmm. to this awful I agree. oh there's too much going on and then suddenly they were shoehorning in this life friendship thing but the thing is the way i've always interpreted haku is not in such a literal manner um i think from the fact alone the film ends with her going out and never looking back kind of get offers that ambiguity my god i can't speak of the bathhouse even existing alone and then haku for me the fact that he's such a kind of pinpoint of uh, such a vivid childhood memory of hers it's almost like he's not a literal, you know, person that she's in love with. It's more of the fact that she's kind of, she finds him, you know, who finds her shoe. She's kind of rediscovering herself, rediscovering her childhood in a way, on this Plus kind of journey to independence that she has at the bathhouse. He's a river, isn't he? She mentions that she remembers his name because of the river. So yeah, also... yeah, exactly. So yeah, awful memories. Plus, um, I'll just say one thing quick. I I feel like the film is so much about like a small moment of your life, like you're here and then you're never there again. Like you could like it could be a metaphor for a lot of things. You know, like a one week holiday you took, or like you know uh, an emotional summer you had, or something like that. And like you know, it's that weird mixture of there's some quite mundane sort of scenes, or like not mundane, but there's a lot of kind of scenes that focus on something maybe a lot I don't know like there's just a lot of things there in the balance and then one will come there and one will pop there and then also as the film goes on this character sort of realise oh I have feelings for this person 
but they don't necessarily go anywhere. I think the film balances them quite well because, you know, I don't think, I think for the most part, like with, you know, No Face, I don't think he overcrowds the plot because he adds to all of the stories in like individual ways. And then there's a, a few minutes long scene where they kind of end his story or like, you know, focus mainly on him. I feel it balances a lot of the plots pretty well personally. And I, I like that the film did that, you know? Yeah. For me, definitely No Face is like one of the most important characters, I feel. He kind of leads to a lot of, obviously a lot of problems in the Bath house, you know, but also a lot of solutions, you know, he's the one that takes her to, who comes with her to Swamp Bottom and kind of ends up becoming this quite, almost like this symbol of the film, which I think is quite an interesting fact. Maybe it's just because his character design is so original, but uh, for someone who actually causes quite a lot of chaos, for him to kind of come down and be almost like a protagonist by the end, um, I think is quite significant. Um, yeah, the one thing I didn't understand about No Face was why they showed interest in the beginning in the main character. Like, why? Because it was clear that they were the only one that could see her when she was holding her breath across the bridge. And I don't, yeah, I just don't fully understand why the, they yeah, had um, been there from the start. I got something. Yeah. No face symbolises how children um, form an identity based on people around them. Identity is one of the key themes in a spiritual way and most potentially expressed in Shishiro. Losing her name to Yaba or Haku, remembering he is really a water spit spy spirit. Sorry, you by Kitty. I didn't really answer my question, though. No, I just, yeah. No, I think... <laughs> He's just stealing words from me. Anyway, um, I think what I took from it was that um, No Face kind of represents an outsider, in a way. So he's never... He's seen by both the human world and both the spirit world as well. And he's not allowed inside the bathhouse, obviously, until he kind of breaks in and then sneaks in and then you know causes havoc um what was your actual question why they were so interested in her in the first place like i didn't understand why that happened like Mm. why like because he became kind of obsessed with her I think it wasn't an obsession necessarily with her but um he was kind of in a way drawn to her kindness Right, yeah, yeah. And um, like like kind of James said in the point that I made, um, he's kind of a consumer of other people's identity, like the way in which children, when they're younger, kind of take the form of other people's personali- personalities. No Face is kind of this blank spirit. When he enters the, the bathhouse, it's placed full of kind of corruption and um, a lot of evils in a way. Um, he kind of, you know, takes takes on that form until he, you know, until he leaves the bathhouse, you know, and you know by the end at, at the house at Swan Bottom, he's, um, you know, he kind of becomes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, cause it, yeah, because he doesn't speak until he's swallowed the frog and he's speaking with the frog's voice, mm-hmm. so it's kind of yeah. I have to admit, my favourite part of the whole film which I forgot to mention earlier, which I just, I loved, was just them 
when the baby and the little flying thing were turned into the little mouse and the little bird thing. And just every now and then they'd be like something really serious and you can just hear like buzz. You can see this little flying mouse. And that was definitely the highlight of the film for me. So funny. Since you love this film, Mm -hmm. um, and I was mentioning how I believed it was a soup with too many ingredients. Um, Please, please, could you explain the giant baby and the dragon? Oh, uh, well, I'll kind of explain how I interpreted it. Because this is one of the films, like I mentioned at the beginning, it's so nostalgic to me. This might sound weird, but I really hope that you guys have at least one film where you feel this way. Where it's the kind of film, basically, when I watched it when I was younger, um, I don't anymore, but when I was younger, I obviously, before I could read, I'd watch it with um, in the English dub. Um, and it became a film I watched so many times to the point where if I hear the English dub now, I almost know what they're going to say, even if I, even though I haven't watched the English dub in years. It's like a, you know when you watch, okay, this sounds really weird, but films like, you know, Pixar films you watch when you're younger, it's like you took in the words when you were younger, but you never really kind of understood what they were saying. So you recognise these sounds, you remember these sounds, but you never kind of take in that. That's how I always feel whenever I watch this film now, both sound-wise, if I watch the English dub, but as well image-wise, to the point now where I kind of never try to look up other than my own interpretation. I never kind of try to delve deeper into the meanings of, you know, the film, because I almost don't want to ruin my own kind of childhood interpretations of it. So this is very much kind of my interpretation of when I'm talking about the film and stuff. Um, there could be some kind of cultural thing with big babies. I, I actually do not know. But I think for me, the big baby kind of, I always saw it as this kind of, um, this kind of manifestation of greed within the bathhouse. So, you know, Yubub is this kind of massive, um, can, like, you know, really controlling of course she's going to have a child which is like double her size as well you know um but what was the point what was the point of it being there i i, I can't place that as a character what was the point of the radiator woman you can sort of say that of any film can't Wait, you? this is you not know? on a razorhead podcast episode i'm just saying like because there is a lot about her i'm just saying like you know, aesthetic interest, maybe. Like, sometimes that just needs to be the point, like, you know, with it being... Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt Sometimes you. it also, Sometimes it might be, but I really don't feel like it was. I feel like it was baby, trying to say something. The baby is a character who kind of, before Shihiro manage, manages to, kind of matures in a way that Shihiro doesn't until the final sequence kind of thing as she's driving away. So we get the baby, you know, coming back, saying to you, Baba... Um, basically standing up for Shihiro, who, you know, the baby was once kind of, you know, violently grabbing and, you know, kind of gains this independence from from the train journey, um, which, you know, then kind of trans- transfers onto Shihiro later by the end of the film. If that I mean, you sense. mentioned that being your favourite scene. I mean, I really thought it was a nice scene, but, like... The train scene? Yeah, I don't think I enjoyed this film nearly as much as you, so, like... Yeah, if you can explain, or if you don't want to, because 
it's just so good. We'll leave that. What do you love about? If we're ready to move on, because I could talk. The train scene is uh, no exaggeration, like my favorite scene in cinema, hands down. Which is not a surprise, considering this is my favorite film. So, but you know, it's gonna have my favorite scene most likely. But anyway, um, I think it's just such. I just love, I can't watch that scene without crying either. The music and kind of the obscurity of some of the images, like that house which stands alone. It's just the fact that the train is flooded. They're almost riding over a lake just because of some overnight rain. Like that almost seems quite an existential image because of the obscurity of it. Um, And it's almost, it kind of, I always saw it as like, changing times when I was younger so you know she's entering she's going to Swamp Bottom which is like a you know new location and everyone says about the train they're like oh I wish I could go on this train but there's no explanation as to why they other than they want to get out of the bathhouse why they can't leave the bathhouse in the first place and then all the spirits on the train are so different to the other spirits you see in the bathhouse and in the on the streets they're almost like kind of half human half spirits and this is one of the scenes where again i hate to read interpretations about it because i just love not knowing almost kind of the the blissful unawareness i have of just the kind of beauty and the obscurity and slight sinister aspects of the imagery um so it's it's much like I do with kind of when I'm watching a Terence Malick film, I kind of let that scene just completely immerse me. I just like try to be completely embraced with that scene, image and music wise, um, and don't kind of delve deeper much deeper into kind of whatever it means, which you know is important in a film, I think, but. Um, I kind of just love the art. You risk something when you need to explain every single scene or why everything in a film works, you know? Sometimes, what does that I'm agreeing with you. You risk something when you need to explain why every single scene in every single film works, you know? Yeah. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, sometimes, you know, you just, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, I'm just sort of trying to add yeah. to the point. Um, I'm curious, would you say more, it's like when you watch that scene, like, you trust it means something so you don't feel the need to figure out what it does mean because it just feels powerful enough for you in a way but almost not that almost like it doesn't need to mean anything to an or to anyone else because it means something to me it's like a nostalgic it's got nostalgic value it's got obviously emotional value i can appreciate the art in the scene and the kind of meaning which although I don't fully understand in that scene, I kind of appreciate that there is meaning in a way. If that makes sense. And I do definitely... agree with you on this scene. Mm. The train scene. Good. Good. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, I think we, even if we don't agree often on some stories with films, I think we both have quite a similar taste in visuals of a film and so that's that is one thing that i did take from the film was the train scene um and as you were saying earlier the idea of the water 
um, and the rainfall. Um, I I don't know why, but I've always had a real uh, I don't attraction interest in in temporary lakes. Like, mm. There there's a park somewhere in America that every year it floods, and I I saw someone had put an underwater drone, and they were exploring it, and I was just fascinated by the grass underwater because it is two things that take time have suddenly collided and that I felt meant a lot to me within the confines of this film and I just the image of the train platform being the only thing you can see in this big sea of, of water was I don't know that that did a lot for me I yeah. can't explain it and that's what we were saying mm. Yeah, exactly. And even like the subtle elements of the of the scene, such as the part when they go through it kind of becomes nighttime and you get those lights. I I that goes over my head completely, but you know, I'm sure somebody has some explanation for it. But again, I don't care for that because I just find it so beautiful by itself. It's one of those films that attaches itself to you, not necessarily for quality, but well, well yeah. um, I can't. I'm trying to think of a way to word what I mean. Attach or you attach to it not for its quality, but for its emotional value. I think this scene, I, you know, I attach to it because of that. But the film as a whole. Well, yeah, there's no quality to attach to. Oh. Oh. I, I'm joking, I'm joking. There's yeah, some stuff there. Anyone know Miyazaki? Should we, I was wondering, should we move for this? Because I thought we're just going to be in an infinite argument for a while if we let this continue. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to agree to disagree. Oh, um, I was just going to say... Um, what was I going to say? Um, I do think it's quite interesting because, um, you know, I do think that is, you know, you're saying that, like, there isn't necessarily a meaning. I do feel that Miyazaki does that a lot. He just sometimes likes to show the beauty of nature a lot, and I like that about it. Um, I do think what's interesting is um, watching the film, like, a lot of the scenes made sense knowing that Miyazaki at one point in his life was a Marxist. Um of course, then he uh, later said Marxism was a mistake. Uh, but basically, you, you've seen this the film. So much of the film is about greed, you know? And like, sort of just this, you know, like, why can't people leave the bathhouse? I, I think it partly is about greed, you know? Um, and they just don't leave. Like, even that one guy working, like, he's like, oh, I've had these tickets for 40 years. You know? And I think also, like, that going into aggressive analysation, you know, like, the boss, what's her name, Bubba? Yubaba. Yubaba. Um, she literally takes her employees' names, you know, she dehumanises them to a certain extent. So I feel like there is a lot of, and, like, a lot of his stuff is kind of, a lot of his films have that philosophy of once you escape the, re, you know, once you escape modern modern world and return to nature, you find more inner peace. And that yeah. seems anti what the bathhouse is, you know, and I mean... 
you know, going back to No Face, you know, part of the reason I think he's interested in, what's her name? I always forget. Shihiro. Shihiro is that, you know, he can't buy her affection. Like he thinks he can buy everyone's, you know, affection. And that's a pretty um, kind of, you know, you could definitely make an over-the-top ideological analyst of that, you know? Yeah, I think that's like the perfect analysis of it. And definitely bringing in kind of those themes of nature that Miyazaki explores throughout, considering his background in politics as well. You know, I didn't actually know he was a Marxist, but I know he's a very kind of, um, you know, um, it's a political guy. Um, um, you know, actually speaking of this film, it won um, Best Animated Feature. Oh, oh my God. At the Oscars in 2001, between 2001 and 2003 because it got like three different releases anyway um and he refused to travel to the states because they were um bombing iraq at the time um and that was kind of never publicized that opinion but again it kind of shows you know how how you know his politics anyway um but yeah i definitely agree with that and even even um lynn who, you know, the woman that takes care of Shihiro, the fact that she's like, you know, she, it, it's always the slightly on the edge, not not evil characters, but not quite good characters, who are the ones who are saying, um, I've always wanted to get out of here, but I never can. It's like they can't escape this world. And contextually as well, kind of bathhouse, bathhouses are a big industry in Japan. And definitely at the time, you know, bathhouses are a big part of Japanese culture, um, especially around kind of wealthier Japanese people. Um, so I think it's definitely a very relevant location contextually as well. But yeah, anyway, that, yeah, that's definitely like the perfect analysis. And the um, financial crisis, the financial, 90s financial crisis is mentioned at the beginning. I must admit something. I started What's with that? the dub and then switched to the sub. So maybe this is only a dub original, but like in the dub version, it did briefly mention, you know, about like, oh, this is a theme park. They used to have a bunch of these and the economy went bad. So like even in the beginning, there is a brief uh, mention. And um, I do think what's interesting is I feel like if this was an American film, you know, I know you say part of the film was about growing up, but I also think part of the film kind of maybe criticizes or is parodying the idea that such a young person needs to work. You know what I mean? Because I feel like a lot of, if an American film did this, it would be about a woman getting to the top of the financial ladder. You know what I mean? I think it's very telling that the, the kind of like the climax of this film is, well, you know, yeah. it's like her in nature. Yeah, you know? definitely. And something that Miyazaki said about the film was the, one of the reasons why he made the film was because he was sick of seeing animated films where, which would have a female protagonist but often have the female protagonist playing kind of, you know, a seeking love type role, seeking romance type role, or some kind of, you know, almost quite pathetic, you know, um, princess in peril type kind of character. Um, he wanted to create a film which challenged that. And obviously I think you see that a lot more now, like that's almost like a kind of cliched now, cliched trope, um, kind of like the, independent young girl you know goes out 
by herself and finds herself. Um, but this is definitely one of the first films for me to do that effect effectively. First animated films, anyway. I yeah, I never thought about that, but I guess what's also might be nice to mention is like it seems not just with Spirited Away that he was an outlier. It seems with most of his films, Miyazaki was an outlier. His first film did have a damsel in distress, so maybe not that one, but you know, Princess Mem- did it? Yeah. Did it? Yeah. No, no, it did not. What is? What do you think is his first film? Well, I know you're about to say Castle Caligostro. That's not yes. a Studio Ghibli film. That's his first, that's Miyazaki's first film. Like. Yeah, it is, but it's not a Studio Ghibli film. I'm not saying Studio Ghibli, I'm saying no, so we're, If we're debating Studio Ghibli as, a, as a, a production company standing for kind of morals of, you know... I wasn't, I was talking about Miyazaki. Fair enough. I'll, I'll pass okay. So, But yeah, you know, Kiki's Delivery Service, Princess Mononoke, uh, How's Moving Castle, I'm, I think that's like, it's a main male and female, same with Castle and Sky. It's main, it's main female. Okay, I haven't seen it, so I'm sorry for that misinformation. Um, I don't know, I just thought I'd briefly mention that because I never thought about that. It's and I guess it's a, bit, it's a bit of a shame that that's such an outlier, isn't it? Like a director who's had more than one film with a female lead. I'm actually trying to think of a single one of his films which has a male lead grave of the fireflies uh, uh Tagrioso, i think yeah all right well <laughs> it's a, it's so good it's it's better than spirited away that's i've seen it and that's utter bullshit would it be hard to be better than spirited away though oh my God. Uh, maybe not but um harder than being better than anything lynch has done or amelie <laughs> Yeah, let's really? bring Amelie. Really? No. You kind of asked for that one. Yeah, I mean, like, I think I could just fill my wall and I've beaten Amelie. You know, like. What? Who did you beat? <laughs> beaten Amelie. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I've made a better film. I've I forgot her name was, I forgot the film's name was also a person's name. Violence against women is never something to joke about. I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> anyway, Chloe, did okay, you... Before, before James incriminates himself further, let's talk about... Can I swear on this podcast? Are we allowed to do that? Yeah, let's fuck let's yeah. Let's talk about the motherfucker with six arms. How great must his life be, right? How easily can he do stuff? Think about we, his ability. Are literally just talking about his arms, not... Him his... and his arms. A, his job is made so much easier with the fact that he has got six arms. It's like if a spider and a human had a baby together. And actually, to be honest, it is the same amount of creepy. But imagine how easy his life must be. Imagine how much he gets done. But if we're talking about in relation to the females in the plot, he, I, I haven't watched it for a while, but doesn't he not give her work? Yeah, probably because he doesn't he's, need to. He's doing it himself. He's a bad person. He helps her. Person. He, he does, does help her in the end. end. I'll defend Spider-Man. Yeah, let's defend Spider-Man. Because um, he like makes Lynn give her a job and sort all that out. So he does essentially help her. He's he another does seem to have a pretty shady job, though. 
And he helps them at the end. He's nice at the end. I just, yeah. I, I envy him. I feel like my life would be much easier if I had another four arms. He actually, um, his character actually um, represents um, a traditional Japanese folklore character. Got the name. Um, it's basically like a human spider. <laughs> and um, spiders are often seen in film to represent industry and progress. So, yes, that's one thing I kind of admired while watching it was like the fact that, that Japan has a, such a large kind of culture around spirituality. So they have so many um, legends and all that kind of stuff. And I, yeah, that's one thing that I actually really like about. I love that about it as well. Yeah. yeah. And like, for me, sorry if I'm going on, but like growing up with this film, um, especially as well, like having a younger sister to watch this with, um, who also loves the film. Um, it kind of kick-started my whole family's kind of slight obsession with Japanese culture, which I love how a film like this has the ability to do. Um, because it, it, it brings different cultures over here. In a way. And I know definitely the film was big in the US at the time of release. Um, thanks to my guy John Lasseter at Pixar who kind of helped push the American release but it kind of brought a lot of what we know of Japanese culture is a lot thanks to, down to this film because prior to it a lot of kind of Japanese um a lot of culture surrounding Japan was unknown and Studio Ghibli kind of brought that over to the US. Kitty are you a weeaboo? Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> Actually, um, fun fact, I did go through quite a weeaboo stage when I was like 13, so we won't talk Same. about that. How many times did you watch Death Notes? Oh my god. Uh, too many. <laughs> I am, um, you know, why am I doing this to myself? I have it downstairs. Yeah, <laughs> I, I still watch I still watch it like every two years. I've seen it seven times. Beginning to end. It's, yeah. <laughs> Did you ever watch Naruto? No, I never, I never, vent I was like, that, when I kind of started wanting to, I was like, okay, now it's time to stop and grow up and get out of this place. That's fair enough. I just got to the point where I was like, why is it, why is it always the same people fighting the same people? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely a thing is too much anime. Yeah, and also I think it's come to the point where the industry's too homogenized in a way where it's all just exactly the same. Like, that's what I like when watching a Miyazaki, like, this doesn't feel like it has the anime-isms because they need to have anime-isms. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel like it has, like, the character I, yeah. oh, I, and, or being, like, the wide yeah, eyes. Or, like, exactly. the I like, never consider this an anime film ever yeah. and I never have it's an anime any terrible sexual assaults but it's not it's not got the anime style it's not kind of it uh, not got you know like the exaggerated anime yeah. um dialogue like anime. it has got a few lines where it's like that must be him oh no he's going up to Baba like that would be one of my few criticisms of the film it does have a few like 
I guess it, it would, yeah, I kind of count that off as just it being more of a family film than necessarily, you know, film. I think what you're saying about the uh, like six armed dude, uh, about how he's like some Japanese cultural reference. I think we also do that with our films, and you don't notice notice it as much of like things like that. It's like I can't really think of an example, but like a really big one is us using colors to symbolize stuff. It's like they use sort of these cultural codes and stuff, which uh, make you, which people like we don't really understand. But then if we were watching it and we were from Japan, we probably would. And so I think that's quite an interesting thing about these sorts of films and how different they are, but how we can sort of understand it as well. I mean, even if you didn't know about what he was meant to represent there's obviously some deeper meaning behind some guy with six arms just sitting there but also as a kid's film i guess you sort of don't really if i was my sister's age and watching this i would just go right past my head there's this sort of thing where you can watch it at any age and you can sort of understand it's like one of those films which isn't just for kids it's for adults too which is like quite hard for animated films I mean, you've got animated films which are for adults, like... Uh, sausage like Party. Yeah, exactly. So much better than Spirited Away, by the way. Um, we should do that. We're not doing Sausage Party. I'm not coming for that one. But it no, this one... Funny. Sorry, go on. No, 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 that's basically what I was saying. There's, there's anime films for adults, and this is sort of one of them, which could... I can't think of any other ones. I think Pixar's probably the best sort of studio which does films which can are fit you, for adults are ages. you calling sausage party an anime i'm not calling not animated animated okay. i'm not calling okay. it an anime i mean it is anime isn't it sausage. no <laughs> yeah it's yeah, you james james jay you can't you can't decide whether it's an anime or not how are okay, you yeah, allowed sorry. to do that but no yeah uh the the films for adults but also for kids but also for adults. Do you think we could... You know, I have one more question about the spider guy. Do you think we could take him in a fight? I'm just wondering, because we're talking about all the advantages. We need to see, you know, like... You know, closer's like, what all the advantages got? I'm failing to see them, you know? We need to discuss how easy... There are six of got. us. Um, yeah. And if, if we can get Grace like, well, to, to get involved, then there's seven. Plus, he's pretty old, so it'd just be like one good punch, wouldn't it? But, you know? but he, he can stretch his arms. Yeah. He can stretch his arms. That's a really good point. I wish I could do that. I don't care about having the six arms. You if I could stretch them. Yeah. I was just, I was just thinking, though, like the like British film image um, kind of symbolism compared to Japanese film. I was trying to think of a good example where, you know, they have this like folklore. They have this character which represents an old folklore. I was trying to think of what we have. We have the Cornetto in Shaun of the Dead. Please, please, please. Let's Be not, quiet right let's now. Not <laughs> They're adult films anyway. Would you? Uh, what does the Cornetto in Shaun of the Dead symbolize then? Red oh, zombies, blue police, green aliens, the world. God. Get it right. Learn oh. your film theory. What did you I, Ed, Edgar Wright, you're such a genius. I know. Really I, I, look, no, 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 listen up, listen up. This is what all you non-film fans aren't getting. He sets stuff up 
in the background and then you see them referenced later in the foreground. Look, pretty complex stuff, guys. But, All like, right. I don't, pretty I don't complex fucking stuff. think it'll anyone's be like, ever done that before. It would be like the sound of a zombie moaning and everyone's like, oh my God, I heard that earlier and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so it's... Okay, let's not get into how... I feel like British culture hating, hating. I feel the difference is, like, Japan, when a film, Japanese film shows Japanese culture, it seems to be quite proud and sort of interested in it. I feel like any film about British life or British culture is just about how miserable and shit and racist we are. Like, That's literally trying to think, like, what are the most famous British films? Like, I feel like This Is England is one. I feel like there's um, quite a difference between Spirited Away and the Cornetto trilogy, personally. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> no, they're so similar. What? I, guess that's I just don't like thing. either. Um, I was so. just thinking about how similar this film is to uh, Spider-Man 2. Because you've got the train scene, you've got the, you've got the guy with extended arms, you've got Spider-Man. I think Spirited Away is just Spider-Man 2 with extra steps. He's never said that. I can feel like the vomit rising in my throat. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to this episode. Um, the number one grossing film in Japan of all time. And it's been shat on by a load of idiots. No, I'm joking. Um, uh, but, it got overtaken. Yeah. I thought it got overtaken. Yeah, it got overtaken recently, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> I, um, I'm willing to bet that the one that got overtaken by was even worse. Yeah, Dragon Slayer got got nothing. Anyway, um, yeah, thank you very much for watching. Next week, James, do you want to quickly say what we'll be doing next week? Sure, um, we'll be doing the, um, one of the first slasher films, a uh, very important film, you know, it really sh- showed what horror could be, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I do apologise, I will be uh, aggressively politicising it, so <laughs> you'll have a week to prepare. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Man kills people with chainsaw, people die. Man. Man. Guys, I personally cannot watch. I'm excited. Uh, yeah. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. I love you. This episode of the Sound of Vision podcast was edited by Jay Taylor Jones.